Welcome back to the Lead Worship Well podcast. Today, we have a fascinating conversation with Jackie Brewster, a certified Enneagram coach and experiential specialist. Now, you may be familiar with the Enneagram already, but this conversation focused specifically on how it intersects with worship leading, how your Enneagram type affects your worship leading style, your type's personal reflection after a service, the correlation between song selection and your Enneagram number, and more. We believe this tool can serve your teams so well. We've used it as worship leaders ourselves and as colleagues here at multitracks.com. We hope this conversation serves you and your teams well. Follow us on socials at Multitracks and at Lead Worship Well, and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Jackie Brewster, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this one. I'm really excited about this one. I am a big fan of all of your content and all of the conversations you have online. So Jackie, for anybody that hasn't met you before, in a few minutes, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, I am a certified Enneagram coach and experiential specialist. So I help people uncover and discover more about themselves with the tool of the Enneagram as well as biblical truths. I love to see people grow in awareness around their patterns of behavior, you know, the things that trip them up in their lives and these beautiful aha moments that I get to witness as a coach through Enneagram. And I'm also an author and a speaker and some other fun things like that. But my favorite stuff is like the in-person, let me see life change happen, you know? Amazing. I love that. So that's the topic of our conversation tonight is the Enneagram and how it plays out in different people's lives and particularly worship leaders' lives. Mm -hmm. So really simple first question. Most of us probably have a grasp of what we think it is, but what is the Enneagram? And second question, when and how did you discover it? Okay. The Enneagram is a personality typing system. There's a lot of speculation of where it came from and the origins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, What I do know is that in the 1970s, I got brought over to the United States and we have overlaid it with some psychology. And so the way that we look at it is kind of like the new Enneagram. It's a different way than the old way, but it really helps us to see people's patterns of behavior. And when we're looking at the Enneagram, like Enneagram system, like I said, a personality typing system, I'm not trying to put you in a box. I'm actually trying to to show you the box perhaps that you've put yourself into, not even knowing it by belief systems, patterns of behavior, childhood messaging, all these different parts. And so I want to show you like, is any of this true for you? You know, like when I read this statement, does that ring true for you? Does any of this hit you in a way that makes you want to say like, what in the world? Where did that come from? But it really is a tool to help you uncover and discover more about yourself. It's not a Christian tool. It's just a secular tool that as Christians, we use to bring awareness. And then the Holy Spirit is what we believe brings the transformation. So we have moments of awareness and to our own patterns of behavior, our own belief systems. Then we can ask ourselves, is this true? What do we do with it? What does God say about it? Who does God say I am? That's a huge one, especially, you know, we're going to talk about some worship pastors or, or worship ministry And if we believe that this is who God says that we are, then our patterns are going to look different. And if we get caught up in who the world says we are, we're going to, it's messy. And so, yeah, the Enneagram helps us to figure out the lies we've believed about ourselves or different areas that we've been trapped. And then the truth of the Word of God comes in and cuts through it like a knife, not really a knife, you guys, like a sword. (laughs) Um, and, And it helps us to see the reality of who we are in Christ. It doesn't have to be who we've been living like. 
So Jackie, when and how did you discover the Enneagram? So I discovered it, um, I want to say 10 years ago, but it's been a couple of years since this. It's more like 12 years ago. I just want to stop aging myself. <laughs> That's really what this is. So about 12 years ago, my girlfriend, Jenny Acuff, gave me a book. Um, we walked all the time and I have four children. And at that time, the twins were like just two years old. They were literally like teeny tiny twins. They just were little and they could get out of anything. So we were on this walk and um, her daughter is perfect and sitting in her little stroller and eating her like snacks and probably reading a book. Mine are like climbing on top of each other and trying to get out. It's awful and chaotic and they're running everywhere. And after that walk, I came home and that night Jenny said, Hey, I just want you to, um, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I ordered you a book on Amazon. It's going to be delivered to your door. And I was like, okay. And so I opened this book and I'm like, what is this? First of all, that symbol is weird. And I don't want to do anything that's not right. So I don't know about this, Jenny, but she's a strong Christian. So I was like, well, I don't know. So I started looking at it 12 years ago. I did the test. I came out as an eight on the Enneagram and I'm like, okay, like I get that. But then the more that I dug into it, the more I read about all the numbers. Um, I actually line up with the seven, the heart longing, the childhood messaging is this the seven. And I have a pretty strong eight wing. So people often think that I'm an eight, but I'm actually a seven with an eight wing. <laughs> and so that just started a journey of awareness of, around me figuring out like, where did these thought processes come from? Where did these belief systems, where did these patterns of behavior come from? And then I would understand a little bit of myself through that lens of the Enneagram. And then I'd go to the word of God and be like, yeah, this isn't like what I've believed about myself isn't who Christ says I am. You know, and so the work over the past 12 years has been uncovering more about awareness through Enneagram and then diving into a deeper relationship with Christ. About five years ago, I went on and got certified as an Enneagram coach. And now I take people along the journey of uncovering and discovering their selves through this tool, along with holding it up, you know, with biblical truths. So Jackie, what's the best way for somebody, in your opinion, to work out what number on the Enneagram they are? And is it a one and done test? You mentioned something about you identified as an eight, but it took you a while to work out that you were another number. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Okay. So there's a lot of tests out there right now as far as Enneagram tests. I like the Ready. It's R-H-E-T-I. I like that test the best. Okay. You can take it online. I think that's a great starting point. It gives you like your top three possible scores. And then even in that, we want you as coaches, we want you guys to keep looking and reading and diving into it and don't take anything that's said is like a stamp on you. Like, well, this says I'm a seven, so I'm a seven. Now I'm going to act like a seven. Right. Uh, instead, it's more curiosity around like, like, what does this mean? What, are, what am I reading? Is this true about me? Does this make sense? You know, when it comes to Enneagram typing, it does have a lot to do with those childhood messages. So the unconscious childhood message and the heart longing message. And that's going to line up with core fears and core desires. And everything around Enneagram numbers, it has to do with motivation, not behavior. So okay. we can look at other people and be like, well, I mean, they're really assertive. They must be an eight. And then you could assume that, right? Yeah. And then when you unpack it, you'll see like, okay, but the, the motivation behind the assertion is not the same. So like the eight, I, you know, like they don't want to be betrayed. Yeah. As a, you know, a woman that came from a broken home, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be betrayed, but that's not really my fear or my motivation. For the seven, it's you want to know that you're going to be taken care of. And I was like, ding, 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 that's it. That's the motivation. Okay. That's why I do what I do right. with the belief that nobody is ever really going to 
take care of me. So it's a very warped situation for a seven. Yeah. That's why we stay upbeat, positive and happy and just keep going <laughs> because, you know, there's a lot of fear within that number, even though you don't see it. Yeah. So my suggestion is take a test, see what the test says. Don't keep retesting yourself. That doesn't help anybody. Okay. Um, so take a test, see what it says, start exploring the top three numbers that it gives you. And you just want to look at those childhood messages and say, is that true about me? Does this resonate with me? You know, I prefer a more narrative approach, but most people just want to know it so they can move on um, or read memes about it or whatever, you know, but <laughs> I want you to do the work. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love that. I think we've seen several people at Multitrack. So the leadership introduced this as a tool a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It's been phenomenal for us because I think the ability to self-learn more about the way that you work and why, but also the way you relate to other people and leading team has been great. But there were some people that originally didn't like maybe their number and went on a more of a journey of self-discovery mm-hmm. to land where they landed uh, mm-hmm. than, may, than maybe others. So I love that idea. So your number doesn't change. Is that correct? The number doesn't change. Your number doesn't, your main okay. number does not change. So right. because it's rooted in childhood messaging, yeah. it's there. And it's been how you've learned to get your needs met, to get love and keep yourself safe throughout your life. Okay. Different coping strategies around that number yeah. you know, exist. Your defense mechanisms, your core fears are going to drive you towards certain behaviors. Your core desires are going to drive you towards certain behaviors. So your number doesn't change. Right. There, Within the Enneagram system, there's subtypes for each number. So there's three different ways each number shows up. Mm-hmm. That does change throughout your lifetime. Okay. So that's why we can see somebody that might be an Enneagram three yeah. and they don't look like somebody else that tested like a three. Right. And so it can be confusing. Like, no, they're all like image conscious drivers. And then yeah. you see somebody that maybe wants to be a good role model and is a little bit more settled and it can be confusing, right. but they could still be an Enneagram 3. That's interesting because a large number of the leadership of multitracks.com are Enneagram 3s. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that we are super similar, if that makes sense. And I think it's yes. taken us a little while to work out the uniqueness and difference, even as four individuals, shall we say, that I can mention mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would all be different, but would all identify as a three. So that, that's right. really interesting to hear you say that. Mm-hmm. Another question for you, and you mentioned this earlier, but I want to ask you the question again, is one of the things I hear when people are criticizing the Enneagram is they hate something that identifies them and puts them into a box. Yes. But you started to say something around that that's really fascinating. So how do you use this as a tool that's freeing and not constrictive? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think I remember just any personality test for myself. I was like, I don't want somebody to read something about me and think that they know me. Like, I'm not interested in that. And then this is what I do for a living. It's so funny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, so the Enneagram, the goal for Enneagram awareness is for you to recognize, for you to become awake to your own patterns of behavior. Nobody is putting you in a box. What we're trying to do is show you some of your patterns of behavior that you have used as coping strategies to try to get your needs met, to keep yourself safe and to be loved. What happens is you become aware of these when you do the work around Enneagram and you then have the decision if you want to continue down that path and using those strategies or they're not getting you what you want in life or they're not the the most beneficial for you and maybe you want to pivot and move towards growth, which is going to look different. I can give an example if it's helpful. Yeah, please do. We'll use the Enneagram 3. So the Enneagram (laughs) 3, it's like... 
Driven achiever. That's what they are. They're the driven achiever. And so we could say like, okay, so if you're an Enneagram three, then you have to be a driven achiever and projects over people. It's all about accomplishment. It's all about success. Yes. That is typically how Enneagram threes live. Okay. And, you know, they do want to be successful. They do have high drives. What happens though, is we start to uncover where that pattern came from and who told you you had to do that. And then you get to decide if maybe you want to pivot and you want to move to people over projects. You're still going to be driven. You're still going to have, you know, a desire to be successful, but you're going to also have a little bit more balance and be able to see the people in your life, how they matter and, you know, what... What really does matter, you know, my husband's an Enneagram three. Okay. He's a successful business owner. He works in music business. Yeah. And we were sitting at my son's graduation. This is a couple of years ago. And as Isaiah walked across the stage, I just said to Steve, like, what are you thinking? Like, what's your regret? Like, do you have any regrets? And he said, time. I regret that I didn't pay enough attention in the years that mattered the most because he was, Stephen was driving and succeeding and, you know, all the things. So we do have four children. So we still have two at home. They're almost 14, they're twins. And so I can see a huge pivot in the way that he goes after his dreams and goals and also protects us as a family and leans into his children in a different way from awareness around what does success really mean and matter. Yeah. Does that tell me if I'm worth loving? You know, so there's a lot of yeah. things in that that you start to unpack. And then that's the that's there's pivots that happen along wow. the, the way. Well this is fascinating. I've got to work really hard not to make this a private counseling session and more more of a <laughs> podcast recording. No. We'll look at another look at another I tell you I tell you why this is so fascinating to me. So I I'm a three. I'm a three with a four wing. But mm-hmm. I had this conversation with someone recently. So I had maybe 10, 15 years of worship leading before I landed at multitracks.com in the role that I did now. And one of the things that drives me now in the work that I do is a, a regret that I had when I was worship leading, that I spent more time on the performance and the production than I did on the people that I was leading. And I find that fascinating, but I'd never looked at that through the lens of being a three. I just mm-hmm. put that through the lens of being a worship leader in a busy church mm-hmm. and now using that to be a tool to try and help other worship leaders. So mm-hmm. to hear you articulate that even as a three, yeah, it's giving me a bit of a wobble. I need to go and look at that later. <laughs> that helps. Mm, it's it's that project over people. Right, yeah. Um, fastest way from point A to point B or when you're leading worship, it's, it is a trick. That's just such a tricky place to be because right. there's a stage and performance. It is performance driven to yeah. some degree. You know, I work with quite a few worship leaders in just uncovering and discovering more about themselves and helping them find um, a place of grounding in the work that they do, because it can be so me consuming, you know, like, like how did I feel like that? Did, did they respond well to me? And so the, the shift that has to happen is it's about a purpose on your life and you are there to usher people into the presence of God. And so the prayers are different. The way that you seek Christ is different. The drive towards conviction is different. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. Fascinating. So let me ask you a couple of questions then. Do you think there's a common thread between Enneagram numbers and people that we see in church ministry, pastors, leaders, worship leaders, etc.? Or do you see a fair representation of all Enneagram numbers in ministry? That is a good question. Well, 
I don't know that you see a fair representation. I'll say that okay. because there's certain numbers I don't see as much. I don't see as many. I don't want to say them, but I, okay. there's certain numbers yeah. I don't see as many yeah. on staffs or in creative rooms that right. could be so beneficial to those rooms, yeah. but they're just not drawn to that. You know, you're going to see threes and eights definitely in leadership positions. So you are going to see senior pastors and senior leaders in those roles because yeah. they are leaders by nature. But I also have Enneagram ones and sixes and um, and nines that are senior pastors. So I think the way that they lead, I think it's, it's probably more around who's drawn to them okay. and the type of church that that they are. That's more interesting probably than like, what are the numbers up there? They, yeah. yeah, they are. But then when I look at like the type of leadership and then the congregation, what's the focus of attention? Really interesting. So I think that leads me into, I guess, another thought and another question that leading creatives can be a challenge, right? So leading creatives can be really hard. And Mm -hmm. your husband is one of the leading voices on creativity and leading creatives. And I love his content. I love getting to sit in the room when when he's talking. So I, I assume... He gets a lot of this from you, from being married to you and you're coaching him, right? So how does, so. <laughs> so here's here's the question. How does understanding your team's Enneagram number help you lead them better? Uh, and does it? And if so, and if so, how, particularly with on, unlocking creativity? Yes. Oh, it is a game changer. Okay. It is a game changer. I just want to say like, I love to sit underneath my husband's teaching as well. Anytime I can sit and listen yeah. to him, I don't even live in his world and I'm always blown away. I'm like, how does he know that? Or how can he articulate it so well? Yeah. I have watched him lead for a lot of years. He's always been gracious and allowed me to be a part of stuff with him, even okay. though I'm not technically a part of stuff with him. Um, so like, I love his teams that he works with. Oh my gosh, they're like family. Yeah. I do think understanding your team's Enneagram numbers helps you as a leader, if you're leading them, understand that their focuses of attention are different. And that there's even, when we talk about Enneagram, there's stances. So there's the assertive stance. So you've got three sevens and eights. They're in the assertive stance. They stand independently from others and they go after what they want. And they're not afraid to take risks and chances and all the things. Okay. So you've got a group of people that you might have some of those people in your team. Then you have people in the withdrawn stance, this four, five, and nine. You're going to have some fours if you're in the creative world, yeah. for sure. Right. And so fours, fives, and nine, they withdraw from people to try to figure out what they think or feel about a situation. Yeah. And so they're not going to be able to give you in-the-moment responses. So if you are an assertive stance leader and you are leading people that are not in your stance, and this is the withdrawn stance right here, right. then they're kind of like deer in a headlight sometimes in meetings. Like, I, I can't give you an answer right now. If I give you an answer, it's not going to be authentic to what I really would give you if I had time to process it. So I think understanding that piece right there that you've got some people that just need to move away, process, they need emails and text messages before the meeting happens possibly to help them have time to process what exactly your expectation is of them. And then you have the compliance stance, which is the ones, twos and sixes. They move towards people to try to figure out how to give you what you want. So they're like, what is right? What is wrong? What is expected? And they tend to say yes to things in the moment and maybe even carry some resentment later on because I didn't have time to process things appropriately. And so sometimes what I've been in some different meetings, twos will say, I just wish that 
that we would have a little bit more time to think about, you know, what our thoughts are on something, Mm -hmm. but we don't feel like that. We feel like there's an immediate response that needs to happen. So we end up saying yes to things that we're not in agreement with. And so I think that when you unpack all the the three stances, you're seeing that there's different ways people take in information and there's different needs in the way that we communicate with people. When we understand that, it allows um, everybody to have a seat at the table in an appropriate way. That's really beautifully put. And I think even just simplifying it down to three stances is remarkably helpful. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the temptation, isn't it? To view the world from your stance and assume that other people should be you or like you. Uh, And Mm -hmm. if they're not, what's the problem? (laughs) Maybe I'm speaking exactly like a three, I don't know. But you know, that idea that you're trying to lead everybody. And I think that's been the most helpful thing at work at Multitracks is Mm -hmm. now we're really open about our number and the way that we process so that people on my team that exactly that we have to Mm -hmm. communicate before the meeting so -hmm. that they're set up well to contribute in the meeting Mm -hmm. really really helpful i usually suggest after a meeting happens that there's like a 24-hour period that people can come back and ask questions okay like sit with this for 24 hours if you have questions yeah um, i'd love them to come in by thursday at two o'clock you know what i'm saying and i say that because on church staff Friday is oftentimes a day off. And so yeah. if people are coming back at on Friday and Saturday with questions or concerns, or they're not coming to the table with questions and concerns, instead they're having side conversations. Yeah. What happens is within the organization or the team, there's just these little pockets of resentment or bitterness that that start to take root. And it yeah. just it just causes such chaos. So your your social media account is a gold mine for oh, I you. think for people that are discovering or even people that have a grasp on the Enneagram. And I think some of your infographics, I've screenshot so many of them and have so many of them saved on my phone <laughs> because everything from parenting through to being in a meeting to how I recharge has has really helped not only identify me, but other key numbers or people who mm-hmm. have that number in, in my relationship. So where can people go and check that out, Jackie? Here's a chance for your uncomfortable selfless plug from some of your resources <laughs> so i'm uh, on instagram as enneagram with jb yep and um i post every day and so there is all kinds of content on there you can dm me if you have more questions okay i love to talk back i'd love to see the engagement on my social media with other people like they talk to each other which is so okay, fun yeah. to me right. um i love that so that is one place i have a website it's again enneagramwithjb.com and you can find out what i offer i do coaching for individuals couples as well as corporate coaching um, and staff coaching Amazing. and i have a couple projects that are out into the world yeah, tell me about those. You've published some books and resources, right? So what have I you already have. got published and what's coming? Mm-hmm. Okay. I have an Enneagram devotional called Hearing God Speak. It's a 52-week Enneagram devotional right. that is um, chocked full of bite-sized pieces of awareness coupled with the truth, the Word of God. And so it helps you to see a little bit about yourself and mm-hmm. then what do I do with this? We look at scripture, unpack it. Um, and it's specific to how each Enneagram would focus on whatever topic we're talking about, whether it's fear or purpose, whatever. So this book, it's so beautiful too. Oh my gosh. When I look at that book, I'm always like, oh, you did such a good job with that because I don't even know how they let us do that. But it was beautiful. And then I have another product out. It's called Enneagram Essentials, 125 Cards for Self-Awareness and Connection. Uh, This is a box set of cards. If you like my Instagram, you will probably enjoy these cards. It's more conversational. Yeah. 
So you can pull the cards out. All nine numbers are represented in this deck. So you can look around like the childhood messaging or the core fear, or it goes into deeper, like a deeper dive into different outlet groups and things like this. So you can really begin to see a more in-depth view of each number. I love that. And what's on the horizon? Anything new that you're working on? Yes, I do have a brand new book that comes out uh, March 21st. Okay. Uh, It's already on sale on Amazon. You can pre-order it already, but it is um, the Enneagram in your marriage. It's a seven week journey uh, into Enneagram awareness for your marriage. So you would do it together. There's all different activities through the book to help you uncover and discover And I love to bring tools of awareness that have application because information is not transformation until you activate it. So you've got to do something with what you're learning for it to become life-changing. Say that last line again, information. So information is not transformation until you activate it. That's brilliant. I love that. That's really good. I wish that I had learned the Enneagram when I still worked in church and I was, Mm -hmm. I was leading people. I can't help but think it would have been a great tool in that environment as it has here as well. Is there one story that stands out to you around a leader that's become much better at leading post getting a grasp on his or her or their team's Enneagram number? Uh, What I've seen is when a leader takes time to go through the Enneagram and learn about themselves. And then they also take time to learn about their team members. I see them hold space in a different way. I see them uh, have different conversations. I work with quite a few senior pastors and also some CEOs of companies. And they have conversations with me around, I'm going into this meeting with so-and-so, and this is their Enneagram number. Can you help me navigate this conversation? Like, how should I start it? What is the best practice, you know, for this. So I see huge growth in the way that they can care for the people on their team. So it is not a, what are you going to do for me kind of mentality is a we're all doing this together corporately to see life change happen and to see purpose fulfilled. And so it is a beautiful thing when the leader takes the initiative and learns about themselves first, and then also begins to learn about all the other numbers and does lead from a place of it's not my way or the highway. Instead, it's like, okay, hold on a second. So I want an answer right now, but the best practice here is an email to give you an idea of where I want this meeting to go. And then also to give you time to think about what we talk about in the meeting and then come back in 24 hours to have a discussion about how to move forward, which it's all those steps, if that makes sense. It just slows things down. It allows for it to be more collaborative. That's amazing. I think both that gift of self-awareness and giving that, I think you said holding space in a different way, which is a brilliant phrase and a great way of putting that. I love that. So let me take you back to worship leaders for a moment. I know that okay. you you know worship leaders really well. You identify with them pretty, pretty amazingly. So if we talked about worship leader and the role of preparing and delivering and reflecting on their time of leading worship, do you think different numbers approach leading worship differently? Yes, 100%. Okay. Mm-hmm, I do. If you pick two numbers at random, how would they differ in the way that they approach leading worship? Do you want to pick the two? Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you pick them. Yeah, I like that. You pick them. Let's pick mm-hmm. four and eight. Okay, I like that. Um, they're both, fours and eights are both passionate. So they're okay. both going to be passionate leaders. 
Okay. They both care about authenticity and they both care about justice. Both of them do. So you're going to see some similarity and passion when it comes to this. Now, the difference is the four is more of a feeler. And so, and they're in tune with their feelings. The four at times can allow their feelings to take over and they can get caught up in what they feel is the best thing to do right. in worship, or they feel this is the, you know, this is the best song to do or whatever. So yeah. instead of taking in the whole picture, they might focus right down to how do we get the room to respond in an emotional way? Right. Okay. This is not a bad thing and it's not manipulative. It's just, they're just more in tune to like, this is going to move the room in this way. We're going to go to this place and it's, we're going to sit in this, in his presence, you know, in in a certain way here. So you might feel that a little bit more with the four. Uh, And then if you look at an eight, an eight is more big picture thinker. So they're thinking about the message. They're thinking about the congregation. They're thinking about all the different types of people that might be in that room. They're thinking about what they have to accomplish they're also thinking about their image in this. Right. And um, I'm sorry for all the eights right now. I feel bad <laughs> because I'm going to highlight something. I know you don't like to be exposed. <laughs> but when we think of image conscious, we always think three. Yeah. So threes are image adaptable. That's okay. a great way to say it. Like right. they can adapt their image to whatever they, they need to be to win favor or to accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish. This is not a bad thing either. It's only bad when it's used to manipulate people. But otherwise, it's not a bad thing. I think it's a gift. The eight is a little bit different on, they typically craft an image and it doesn't waver according to what other people think or want. They craft an image and this is how they want to be seen. This is how they want to be respected. This is who they are, if that makes sense. And so they're going to be focused on when they lead worship, this is who they are. They represent themselves this way. And so the four you might feel a little bit more, I'm like swaying, you guys can't see me, but it's just kind of like in the in the feel of it. Yeah. They're just feeling, that they're feeling all of it. And the eight is more mechanical. It's like, this is how we do it. This is the best approach. This is going to get us to where we want to go. It's not, it's not putting the spirit out of it at all. It's mm-hmm. just, it's more focused towards a goal where the four is more in the moment with the feel, if that makes sense. This is, Brilliant. I don't think I've heard many people make the connection between leading worship and the Enneagram number as, mm. uh, as brilliantly as you are. Let's play this game again, if that's all right, because I'm fascinated yeah. by this. Yeah. Let's take mm-hmm. three and seven. Okay. Okay. Threes and sevens. Again, there's a lot of similarities between these okay. two numbers. The threes and the sevens, they're both in the assertive stance. They both have high energy. They both have typically high woo. Um, they know how to draw people to them. They know how to deliver. There is a big difference here though. Okay. The three is more, they can they can get caught up in performance. So they have to it very intentionally continue to bring their focus back on purpose, the word, what they're called to do because they can get caught up in like the image that they're presenting and and how it, you know, feels too, because they're in that feelings triad and they suppress feelings. So it would be more how the room looks, how they're responding. The seven is, is leans into authenticity a little bit different. So the seven, the seven wants to bring you to a place. The seven wants to have an experience. The seven um, is probably going to craft a playlist that is upbeat, positive, that moves you towards God in a, a refreshing way. Yeah. The seven 
they do like deep worship. Right. But when it comes to deep emotion, they typically can't stay there long. Okay. So they'll go into a deep emotional song and probably bring you up to a more happy, upbeat. They want to probably end on more of a momentous moment, but it's so at a three. So both of those would, would kind of do the same thing. The difference is the authenticity with a seven and, and the three's ability to read the room and try to respond to what the, the room wants. My goodness, your next book should be on worship leading through the Enneagram deck. It's amazing. Uh, let me, it would be really cool. Let me ask you one more related question. So we've led worship. We've mm-hmm. completed the task of leading people into the presence of God. We walk off stage and whether that's green room or wherever that might be after the service, what would be the difference in, let's say, a one and a nine in how they reflect, process or recharge after mm-hmm. the fact? That's good. So I'm going to say perhaps when it comes to this, because it could really, you know, every person in every number is a spectrum. So, and it has to do with subtypes when it, when we look at this kind of behavior too. So typically a one is in that compliance stance. So they're going to move towards people. They're they're They might be quiet, but they're paying attention to how people are responding in that green room. Are they Uh, happy with what they did? Do they feel like, you know, is anybody saying anything or whispering that uh, that maybe they missed the mark or anything? They're looking for a negative most likely. Okay. Even though, they need a positive, yeah. but they they immediately go to what's wrong. Like, okay. did I do anything wrong? So they might be quiet. They might not be, but I would suspect a one is taking in the facial expressions, body language. They're just paying attention to what's happening in that room yeah. um, and also trying to you know, recoup. The nine is more withdrawn. So the nine is probably going into the green room, getting some water or coffee or something like that and sitting and reflecting, some self-reflecting. How did they think it went? How did they feel like it was? What did they feel like the room, you know, what song did the room most respond to? Right. So it's more self, like an inner reflection. That's really good. Yeah, perhaps. So on, you mentioned the spectrum. So on the spectrum of any of these numbers, there's health and non-health, right? And there's also a direction for when you are secure and in stress. Mm -hmm. Have I labeled that Mm -hmm. correctly? Is that that how you would define it? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. When you are secure and able to move towards a healthier version of you, um, worry and afraid are not so loud. So scared, worry, afraid, fear, worry, afraid, those words um, are not so loud. Like, you know who you are, you know whose you are, you know that you've got a team of people that have your back. Uh, So you're not leading out of fear. Instead, you're leading out of purpose. And that is a whole different ballgame. When you know your identity is in Christ and you're walking you're calling out according to his will for your life. Um, you know, that says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So when you know you're walking in that, there's a there's a weight that you don't have to carry because he's carrying it. The responsibility for people to respond in that room is on him, not you, because he woos people to him. Uh, we just, you know, as worshipers, I'm not a worshiper, but as people that are in that space, your job is to um, set the the atmosphere yes. for him to be able to woo people to him. It's really interesting. So let me ask you one more, if that's okay, around the same kind of idea. So we've talked about how different numbers lead and how different numbers maybe reflect. Are different people with different numbers drawn to different types of songs? If we take this from the songwriting point of view for the moment, am I going to connect differently with certain types of songs as a three than you might as a seven? Did you say you're a seven? Is mm-hmm. that correct? I'm a seven. Would we, mm-hmm. would we connect to different songs differently based on our number or is mm-hmm. that not the case? 
I think it is the case. Okay. You know, the focus of attention for each number is different. And so we're going to be drawn to what's going to heal our wounding, if that makes sense. Right. So like as a seven, I want to know that I'm going to be taken care of, that I'm going to be drawn to songs that have to do with about, about how God loves me, <laughs> that right. I can go to him and find what I need, that he is going to protect me. Yeah. So Enneagram threes, they really want to know that they're loved for just who they are. So it has around identity, like they can be found in him. They don't have to, they don't have to strive and try anymore. They can just rest in who they are in Christ. And so you would find maybe some songs that have some lyrics like that soothing to your soul because it's like, yes, that's what I need. It would be like healing balm. Yeah. You know, so each Enneagram number has some of that, you know, around the wounding, the childhood wounding. And then I would think that the songs, you know, like the Enneagram one, it's not okay to make a mistake. I want to be seen as good. And so songs that God tells you that, you know, it doesn't matter how far or what you did, he would still love you. He still does. He still loves you and wants you. Like, yes, I think that. If we would reflect, I think it's personal work around like, what about that song am I drawn to? You might see that it it speaks to a longing in your heart around some wounding. Fascinating. Jackie, this is golden. I could spend all night talking to you about the Enneagram number. (laughs) Uh, I joked even before I press record that we could easily turn this into let's make Christian healthy again (laughs) in our time. So I I really appreciate it. Jackie, so much. Um, We're pretty much out of time, but first I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak to us worship leaders about how we can lead better and how we can be healthier. And there is so much in here that I'd encourage our listeners to to go and check out, like recognizing how we process and how we approach leading and particularly that idea of leading our team uh, and not expecting everybody to respond the same way is fascinating. Um, If I could give you one open-ended question to encourage our listeners, worship leaders and creatives, particularly through the light of your work and what you get to know about people, what would be the encouragement you would give to them? I would say, go back to your first love. Go back to the beginning of your faith journey and be drawn back to Jesus. Like he is where everything is found. And so your identity is found in him. Your purpose is found in him. The wounding that you need healing from is found in him. Relationships are found in him. So with all the work that I do around Enneagram awareness, I love it. But what I do find more and more lately is how much I feel compelled to share with people the importance of spending time with God in the word and worship, not to write songs and not, not to say you did it, but to actually go and find out who Jesus is, who is he and what does he say about life and what is he, you know, all the things like, I don't know, like maybe it's just my own journey, but I think it's, it's a hunger and a heart after God that I would encourage you. And in that Ask him to open your eyes to the areas that um, you might be blind to yourself or maybe even the enemy has uh, blinded you to so that you can get free and you can find freedom in Christ. That's beautifully put. Jackie Brewster, thank you so much for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for having me.